Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk about the Jets' big win over Tampa. Is it sustainable? Can they keep it going on this big three-game road trip? We'll talk about that with Sean Reynolds of Sportsnet Plus. Skylar Peters, big-time Seahawks fan, mulls the end of an era with Russell Wilson being traded to Denver. That's coming up on the podcast. Right now, I want to talk about the Winnipeg Jets, who last night pulled off a 7-4 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning to keep their playoff hopes going. They improved their standing by a point. They went into the night eight points out of a playoff spot. They finished at seven points out, so still a lot of work ahead. But nonetheless, we're joined by Sean Reynolds of Sportsnet to uh, break it all down. Sean, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I just wanted you to know if in the future you need me for more than hockey, I love talking curling. So if you ever want to do that, I'm down for that as well. Good to know. Good to know. So uh, last night, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning come to town. A a weird game, Sean. I I thought it was uh, an odd game that maybe the style of play isn't sustainable for the Jets going forward to get a bunch of wins, but it was certainly fun. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. And to be honest with you, I think if you take a look at that, that kind of game, that running gun style is the game that the Jets are most comfortable in. Uh, I think it's when they feel like the most like themselves. Um, I've contended this for a long time. If you want to open up the game against the Jets, I, they've got the capability to run score up and you and do it fast. I mean, we don't have to look too much further back than against the Montreal Canadiens who showed up at the beginning of their game against the Jets last week and weren't ready to play and found themselves in a four, nothing hole early. And then, you know, I, I think what happens when the Jets do get drawn to those kind of games, defense goes to the wayside. And that's why you see these, you know, vast momentum swings like we saw against Montreal, like we saw like last night against Tampa where they, erased uh uh you know at least a 3-1 lead a uh two nothing lead um the Jets are comfortable in that I, I I'm with you in the way that I say that's not sustainable the Jets got to start figuring out ways to win those grinded out games where they're finding themselves on uh on the wrong side of those scores yes it's great that they beat Tampa who are clearly one of the best teams in the league and the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs that clearly was not them at the top of their game if you've seen them win stanley cups in the past that was not the brand of hockey they used to win it um but the two points uh, uh the two points are clearly huge um but yeah the jets are gonna have to find a way to win those grinding games going forward because less and less of those games are going to be played as we go down the stretch well since the all-star break sean we saw that the, right out of the all-star break the jets win that two nothing game over the wild and we're thinking okay maybe this is the style they're going to play and since then all their wins have kind of been these, these chaotic games where they've given up at least three goals. Uh, the Predators game, they won 5-2, but then 6-3 over the Wild, 5-3 over the Kraken. They lose a bunch of games. They beat the Coyotes 5-3, the Habs 8-4, and then yesterday the, the Jets beat the Lightning 7-4. And so is it a case where they just need to accept we're going to have to outscore our defensive problems here if we want to win hockey games? Um, no, I don't think so. I think if you go and look at, at what they did against that first game that you talked about against the Minnesota Wild, I think that's what Dave Lowry wants his hockey team to look like. And I do think to a degree from what we saw at the end of the year last year and the success that they had against the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs, I think that too was the style of hockey that um, that Paul Maurice was trying to get this game, uh, this team to play before that. Um, the, 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 listen, if, if your plan is to outscore 
your defensive liabilities, you're not going to go very far. And even if you do make it into the playoffs, you're not going to make it very far in the playoffs playing fire wagon hockey. Uh, and again, I, I do contend that is where this Jets team, as the roster is constructed, is most comfortable. I think it's why I, I think it's one of the reasons, Christian, that people are frustrated with the team. They think, man, if they can hang seven goals on the Tampa Bay Lightning, why aren't they going out and walking over, you know, teams like the Chicago Blackhawks when they came rolling into town or basically anyone else in the league. But uh, I, I do think that that loose brand of hockey happens earlier in the year. It's happening here there. I'm not surprised it's a team like Tampa. Uh, John Cooper actually war- said that his team, after the game, he said his team, he's seen them trending in that direction. He warned them about getting into a track meet with the Winnipeg Jets before the game, and that's exactly what they turned around and did. So clearly that wasn't the team most focused and at its best, but they don't need to be because they're well within, I mean, they're making the playoffs. There's no question about it. And John Cooper said yesterday, he doesn't care where they finish in the standings. As long as they get into the playoffs, they'll worry about it from there. So the Jets needed to be the more desperate of the two teams. I give them a ton of credit for being that team. They ground things down when they needed to. They pushed and opened the game up. Uh, when they needed to and came away with the victory, they were the more desperate of the two teams. But that style of hockey is not the style of hockey that's going to get them back into the playoff race. And so we look ahead to the next couple of days where they're at New Jersey and at the Islanders Thursday and Friday. The type of teams that the Jets need to beat if they want to make a, a push in this playoff chase. We remember what happened the last time they faced the Devils in December. Very, felt a lot like that Habs game where they went up 3 exactly. nothing. They fell behind 4-3. And they end up winning 8-4, same margin of that Habs game. So this Devils team is not going to be a playoff team, not really all that close, but they've got a lot of young scoring potential. Their goaltending is not great, but if it's another track meet, I think New Jersey would be ready for that. Well, I I still like the Jets. I'll reiterate this. I like the Jets' chances in any track meet. I think if you want to open the game wide open and have a score fest, I think the Jets are going to win that game nine times out of ten, and I don't care who you put of the ice against them. But but you do make a good point about this Devils team. We saw them do that against the Winnipeg Jets last time they were here. The Jets got a little bit of a lead and then slept on it. And this Jersey team, they're young, and they can catch you if you do that. Last game they played, last night, so they were playing while the Jets were playing. The Colorado Avalanche, maybe the best team in the league, went up 3 nothing on them, ended up losing that game 5-3. to And I haven't looked at the game, but everything that I've read about it was that the Avs kind of went to sleep and the Devils made them pay. So th- th- this is the difficult part of the task ahead of the Winnipeg Jets to erase that seven-point lead uh, that we're seeing the Dallas Stars have over top of them to get into the playoffs is in order to do that, you just you have to be on. You have to be on for the next 25 games. You can't be falling asleep. You can't be giving games away. So this is this is the task ahead of them. They have to be focused. They have to be ready. They can't be falling asleep for patches of games. And the Devils are going to be a good test for that because they've clearly shown that if you do fall asleep, they like the Jets. Uh, give them space, time and space. They'll be able to kill you with it. So one roster move today made by the Jets. Nathan Bully goes on long-term injured reserve. Billy Hanela gets called up from the Moose. Do you expect him to play, or is he the, the seventh defenseman that will only play if someone gets hurt in the next three games? I mean, I, I think history has told us to, to expect him to be the seventh defenseman and, and not lacing them up. Uh, I, I take a look at the, the two teams that they're going to be playing against. If, if you were going to see him in the lineup, I think you'd be more likely to see him 
against a team constructed like the New Jersey Bulls rather than the very heavy New York Islanders, who I think you would want Logan Stanley in the lineup for. Uh, that said, I don't think the, the Jets are interested in moving away from the lineup they had and won with against Tampa Bay. So I don't see there being much of a chance, to your point, outside of injury uh, for Billy Hanela to get into the next two games. Um, but I do think that there's been a little bit of a competition on the back end there. Logan Stanley had that position and uh, lost it to uh, to injury, um, and then we saw Nathan Beaulieu move into that spot and played some of the best hockey that we've seen him play in a Jets jersey, and that earned him the spot until he got injured. So I, I do think, you know, clearly injuries create opportunity, but I do think that there's a bit of an additioning process back there still. And if you get prove to the team what you can do, uh, you'll be able to stick around for a bit. So if uh, I know there are a lot of frustrated Billy Hanola fans out there uh, who want to see more of him. Uh, I wouldn't lose hope. Just that said, I don't see him being penciled in for either the next two games, barring injury. So Nikolai Ehlers last night uh, is second game back, uh, third game back, pardon me, from injury. He played just just 12 minutes last night, 12.03 to be exact, including 134 on the power play, gets an assist. I know the Jets have had a, you know, there's been a lot of special teams play these last four games and that, that skewed a lot of the numbers, but do you think he's may, is it just easing him back into the lineup, Sean, or what do you think's happening with the ice time there? Uh, I think there's a tiny part of it. That is that, but what, what I do think we saw last game, you touched on it. One was, you know, with the, with as many power plays and penalty kills as there were, that's really going to take certain players out of, uh, you know, out of their rhythm. And let's be honest, if you take a look at the guys who are on the penalty kill, it's, it's those two line mates. So if they're going out and they're killing penalties, they're not taking the next shift all over again, which means uh, Nick Ehlers is sitting and waiting until they're ready to go back out. So that'll explain, you know, a chunk of the ice time that's missing. Um, what I saw yesterday was uh, Dave Lowry, who, you know, been want to, to uh, find the guys that he thinks are going in a game and give them the opportunity to win the game. He tried to do it a, a couple games ago in Dallas when you saw him start um, uh, Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois. First in the three-on-three overtime, which you rarely see. Usually it's Shifley and Wheeler who are going out first. And it was explained he thought those two players were, were going, so he was going to give them that opportunity. Last night I saw uh, Dave Lowry lean heavily on Stastny, Shifley, and Wheeler. Um, I think that he thought their best chance of winning that game was going to be with that line on the ice. And he got them out as as much as he possibly could in that game. So you add that, those guys getting every possible opportunity, and then purely to block playing second opportunity out of that with, you know, the power play and the penalty kill as it rolled out. I just think that uh, Nick Ehlers was a, a victim of player usage in that game more than anything. Well, and Sean, the, a big part of them being, uh, as you said, you know, they have to be awake. They have to be alert for this next game stretch. That top line if they can play like they did last night over the course of this next little while, that would be huge for this team because that, that line just hasn't been consistent enough to, for the, for the jets, both ends of the rink in this last month or so. Well, and you touched on the consistency part of that is the key, right? Because yes, you can see at times and, and let's be, let's be honest with ourselves, Dave Lowry and Paul Maurice, when, uh, 
and he was still coaching this team, never gave up faith on that line, despite the fact, you know, I think that there were times or opportunities that he could have put his faith in other parts of the lineup. They've never moved away from that, but your word consistency is absolutely bang on. They, at times this season, we can go back, you touched on that game, they won 5-2 over the Nashville Predators when that line was absolutely on fire and looked unstoppable. We've seen that line that when they're at the top of their game, they, they seem indestructible. They seem like they cannot be stopped. Um, we just don't see it with consistency and so that that's the question and that that's the thing about this team that is so strange is because you know and tell me Kristen if you have the answer because I can tell you right now I we saw the Jets come out and beat one of the best teams in the league last game how confident are we that we're going to go out and see a a similar performance from them in their next game against New Jersey I'm not confident of that at all because they haven't shown that all year all they've shown us is that you don't know which version of the Winnipeg Jets are going to show up until you see them hit the ice that night. And, and that's really been the key to them putting themselves in a position where right now they are fairly far outside of the playoff picture looking in. Absolutely. Most days you go in and you're not sure what's going to happen with the Winnipeg Jets team. And last night they, they win 7-4. Maybe they go into New Jersey tomorrow night and you know lose 4-2. We have no idea, but that's why we watch the game. Sean, appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and we'll see you in the press box next week. Anytime, Christian. Talk to you later. Skylar Peters, who has been on the show a lot. We do betting together, and we always have to pick Seahawks games, or he does. He joins us now. And Skylar, just your immediate reaction yesterday when your franchise quarterback you learned was no longer a member of your team. Well, good evening, uh, and thank you for having me on. And uh, I can tell you the reaction. It will be forever ingrained in my memory. Uh, I was sitting at my desk preparing to host the news alongside Richard Cloutier. And it was about 1.32-ish. Uh, my phone vibrated. I uh, get Adam Schefter tweets uh, sent to my lock screen. Uh, so does my roommate, Sean. He muttered out loud downstairs, Oh, no. And uh, at that moment, I knew I should probably read this Adam Schefter tweet because it had to do with either the Seahawks or the Bengals, which is his favorite team. And, uh, yeah, I read the tweet. Uh, didn't really know what to think. For a couple of moments, I just leaned back in my chair and um, tried to process it all. And I guess I'm still trying to do that because I really uh, didn't believe this was going to happen. So you relayed this anecdote on the news uh, in the tee up for my show. But for those who weren't listening, how did you become a Seahawks fan in the first place? Yeah, uh, long story short, I was uh, a big CFL fan and didn't really watch the NFL uh, just when I was getting into high school. I think I was in grade nine. It was 2012, and uh, football season had kind of started. I was over at my buddy's. NFL was on. It was a Seahawks game. Um, He told me I should pick an NFL team to watch. He's a Raiders fan, and then we could maybe watch them go head-to-head someday. And I said, sure. Uh, And uh, they were obviously talking up Russell Wilson, who was a rookie at the time. I think the Seahawks had gotten off to a a pretty nice start uh, to that year, 4-0, 4-1, something like that. And uh, liked their jerseys, liked Russell Wilson, thought Seattle was kind of a cool city, uh, though I've never been. And I said, sure. Little did I know I would sign up for a decade-long emotional roller coaster that has included very high highs and now uh, very low lows. Couple Super Bowl appearances right off the bat. They win against Denver. They totally blow it the following year against the New England Patriots, and they have not been back. They've been close a few times in the playoffs, but have not been back to the Super Bowl since then. But Russell Wilson has been the key part of this because 
in the NFL, you need a quarterback. And that's why Denver traded the five draft picks, three players to Seattle to get Wilson. From your perspective, do you think the Seahawks got enough for Wilson in this trade? Uh Hard to say because there's, you know, there's always a bigger plan uh, in place. Uh, I think by the end of the offseason this year, um, I'll be able to kind of answer that in a better fashion. But they certainly have the tools needed to do it. The thing that worries me with Seattle uh, is their history of drafting really since um, that that early stages of the 2010s when they got Russ, they got Bobby Wagner, who was also let go yesterday. And that was just that was just another. Well, uh oh, he disappeared. The uh, god, the football gods Second wanted round him. and and oh, no, really that's back. the only. Okay. You've you've disappeared for a second there, Skyler, but you're back now. That was the Hi. alarm uh, that I shushed about five minutes ago, saying that I was okay. supposed to join you. Hello. Okay, it cut you off. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, you're good. Continue. Okay. So uh, just Seattle's history of drafting doesn't leave me with a ton of optimism. And now they're wading into the quarterback pool in this year's draft. Uh, Say that as a question because I'm not very – I looked at uh, Malik Willis and Jacob uh, – Matt Corral highlights and Jacob Eason's on this roster too, but he's he's done. Uh, Drew Locke certainly doesn't uh, really get me fired up. He came back in the return. He's, I guess, the Seahawks starting quarterback this year at this rate, but uh, really remains to be seen what the plan is. The good news is there's lots of quarterbacks available, uh, whether it be through uh, free agency trade draft. Uh, I don't know if this year is the year to maybe swing on one of them uh, as a long-term fix. So I do think, uh, you know, like a four and 13 season might be in store for our Seahawks. And then we'll see what happens next year. Now, to be fair to Russell Wilson, uh, you know, he's a 33-year-old. He wasn't what he used to be, I I don't think, the last couple seasons. He he has not been awesome for the Seattle Seahawks. I know he had his finger issue last year, but do you think the Broncos are going to get their money's worth out of this deal? Because they gave up a lot for a 33-year-old quarterback who has not been, you know, what he once was, I don't think. Well, the the one thing that Denver has going for it that Seattle uh, hasn't in the, in recent years is Denver has made a substantial investment. Like outside of Herschel Walker uh, and maybe Matt Stafford last year, like this has got to be the most given up for a, a player in NFL history. So they have to use them in the right way. And Seattle has always been a team that's focused on defense with Pete Carroll, defensive coach, yada, yada, yada. Great defensive players at one point, not so much anymore. Uh, always about field position, always about running the ball on offense. And then when it kind of hits a wall, it's okay. Number three, come save us. And he has so often in his career. Uh, I don't think Denver rolls that way. Uh, I think they have seen how to utilize them. And Seattle certainly uh, got off to that start. Uh, the start of the 2020 season, the let Russ cook era, that was uh, the best five weeks uh, ever. And then it came to a crashing halt too. But um, I do think Denver is going to utilize them in the right way. They have the weapons. They have a solid defense, uh, good coaching, uh, new coaching, but we'll see what happens there. And uh, I mean, they're going to need it because uh, Russ goes from one uh, division that's just full of killers to another in the AFC West. Now, the technology monster kind of ate you up when you started to mention Bobby Wagner a couple minutes ago. He also gets caught yesterday early on in the process, so it gives him time to, to find a new home. But really, the the two lasting connections to the Legion of Boom era are now gone. And for you now, it's a, it's, it's a moment most sports fans have to go through 
where suddenly it's over and the rebuild happens. But uh, what did he mean to the team and, and that defense that was their identity for so many years? Well, I mean, he's he's the middle of the defense on the field. He's the center of the defense um, in all the philosophical terms as well. Um, I, I think Bobby Wagner's uh, the best defensive player that I've ever seen play football. You, I, I as a Seahawks fan, know where 54 was uh, on the field every play. Um, he, he's a, he's a guy you have to game plan against as an opposing, opposing offensive coordinator. So, um, I, it's that, that secondary and that front seven at the same time is going to look a lot different without Bobby Wagner. Um, if he can pass the torch to Jordan Brooks, who actually outpaced him in tackles this year, uh, that will be something. And maybe it's uh, just a changing of the guard, but, uh, I'll be honest with you. Russell Wilson's my favorite athlete of all time, but in the last couple of years, Bobby Wagner, uh, is certainly my favorite Seahawk. And that one, uh, it was expected. I mean, there's no point keeping one around without the other at this point in the game. Um, but man, it hurt when, uh, when I saw that news uh, late last night as well. So do you have jerseys of both? Yeah. Okay. I have no uh, active. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that, that's the nice thing about legends, right? Like I can, I can wear that 15 years from now and th- there'll be so many you know, Seahawks fans at a game at, in Seattle that will have those jerseys, you know, down the road too. So that, that's the good thing about it. I, I don't have an active player now. Uh, on my jersey roster, I've got Doug Baldwin and Earl Thomas in the fold as well. So, um, looking uh, looking at DK Metcalf, I think. Um, I also uh, think I might get an Adrian Peterson Seahawks jersey just for a joke. Oh so, yeah, yeah. We'll I don't have any active player Vikings jerseys. I got some some Dallas Stars active player jerseys. I I don't tend to like getting active players just because they don't maybe stay around forever. Mm-hmm. I think it, if I were to get one, Justin Jefferson, I feel like would be a good one because. He is amazing. Uh, but I'll let you go on this, Skyler, because we, we have you on the show every week to talk gambling during the NFL season. The Broncos go from 25 to 1 to 12 to 1 after this trade is made. Only the Bills, Chiefs, and Packers have better odds. I know that Denver has a decent team, but I don't feel like there's any value on getting Denver right now at 12 to 1. No. Uh, and I did look at those lines um, last night, too, as well. And I think what we often see in the off-season futures market in any sport is a lot of overreaction. Um, I do think uh, once you know things kind of settle down, other teams are going to make moves, right? I don't think the Washington Commanders' uh, acquisition of Carson Wentz really uh, shuffled things around in terms of the futures market today. But no. uh, there will be more moves to come. And uh, I think at some point before uh, kickoff on week one, I bet you can find a better number than 12 to 1. I do think there's a little bit of value in Russell Wilson for MVP. Uh, it was already uh, a buy low spot just due to the season he had and his injury coming back in Seattle. Uh, it's a little bit shorter now that he's in Denver, um, but I mean, a, a good spot, a guy you can get over 20 to 1. I think he was 23 to 1 at uh, my favorite sports book last night. So uh, maybe a spot where I could continue to support Russell Wilson, though it's really going to hurt to see him in Orange, man. Yeah, and the Seahawks are now 75 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. So. No, they they got better odds to pick first overall. Okay. Yeah, light that money on fire if you're going to bet on them to win the Super Bowl. Skyler, appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Appreciate you filling in on the show whenever I'm not around. And uh, I guess our the Vikings are now favored to beat the Seahawks when we, we meet again. I guess so. My pleasure. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. 
That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this.